We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, Chargers fans? Welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. Today, we are talking about defense and the changes that the Chargers may be making this offseason and during the season. Joining me, as always, are Jason and Steven. Guys, how are you doing? Jason, how was your shower? Uh, warm. Long. <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. It's hot. Summer has arrived here in the Central Valley. It's awful, man. And it is so hot today. But thankfully... What is it? It's going to be 98 today? Yep. Ugh. Man, well, guys, like too much. yeah, I'm looking outside and it is cloudy and probably like 65 to 70. That's my bit of a favorite. Nice breeze. Yeah, it's pretty good. So uh, oh, I'm doing great over here. Um, <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about those defensive changes that, listen, the Chargers, I think Anthony Lidden said himself, it's not going to be, you know, zero to 100 changes or whatever. It's going to be, you know, a slow progression. We're going to be a Chinese person driving down the freeway. <laughs> trying to get to our to our changes. I'm Chinese, guys. I apologize. Anyway, he can make those um, jokes. He's good. Yeah, I can make I can make only that joke. Anyway, I'm also half white. Well, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're blowing this. So the first thing I want to talk about is the general idea first, and then we'll get into the specific players. So Gus Bradley says he wants to run uh, more two high safety looks and more man coverage. So Jason. Could you explain explain to me the difference between what they did before, more that cover three that he talks about, versus what they may be implementing moving forward? Sure. And um, just a just a little quick thing before we talk about that. Um, there's a very good reason he's not going from zero to one hundred in changes is because they're two years prior, like two two years removed from being a dominant defense. Um, so there was a formula that was working last year. It didn't work because of one injuries and two just. There's a lot of bad luck everywhere. So, um, But the difference, what you're going to see is cover three, you're relying on your corners to just not get beat deep. You're looking at three deep zones. One is your free safety, and then you got your outside corners. Um, two deep, you're generally looking at either two safeties or two corners, depending on invert. Um, if the two corners are dropping back in cover two invert, that's bad. That's a very bad thing. Don't do that. Uh, if you see that, yell at your TV and at Gus and at the Chargers, telling them they're stupid. Um, so generally, what you're going to see is you're probably going to see a mixture of Rayshon Jenkins, Desmond King, Derwin James, and uh, Nasir Adderley going into these two deep high zones with these uh, at free safety. Basically, you're running two free safeties. I know it's called free and strong safety technically, but that's kind of bull. 
Um, so I expect Derwin James to still be up in the box, which is why they're saying they're going to get Nasir Adderley and Jenkins rotating and King rotating back there is because there's going to be a lot of, um, I think Steven said it this way, uh, uh, about a week ago. Um, it's like, it's like you're on the basketball court and it's just kind of like everybody's free to do whatever. Right. I don't know how he described that. I'm not a basketball guy, <laughs> but, um, Steven, could you help me out here? What is that? Yeah, about? of course. So. Unfortunately, the Warriors were very famous for coining the small ball and positionless basketball thing. And so what would happen is that they would put Draymond Green at center. And because Draymond Green could play defense as a center and play offense as similar to the point guard position, he would bring up the ball and then Steph Curry and Klay Thompson could run wild. And so basically you have five guys on the court who can do everything. They can shoot, they can dribble, they can pass, they can play defense, and you're overall scheme doesn't have to change and so in this kind of instance with the chargers you have so many different players that can do so many different things that you can play be basically a positionless secondary where really the only two exceptions are casey hayward and michael davis who have to play corner but if you can play chris harris at safety and corner you can do chris harris in the slot out wide you can do desmond king at corner you can play him in the slot you can play him high nasir adderley can do a bit of everything rayshon jenkins can do both and obviously Derwin James can do both. So basically, you have a very versatile set of players that can do a very versatile set of positions and roles. And so it gives the Chargers a lot of freedom to be able to just kind of search out for mismatches and search out for what kind of advantages they have across the board and and play positionless secondary football pretty much. So can you explain to me how a defense like this would generate more turnovers? Not that I don't understand this. I just would like you to explain to me. So cover three versus cover two. You have three defenders occupying the deep part of the field versus two defenders, which frees up more defenders to cover underneath. More defenders are covering underneath. Then you have so you have routes more locked up, such as like slants and drags, and that's where you're going to get a, a lot of your interceptions. And if you have two rangy safeties deep, then that means they could get sideline to sideline quick. You can bait some uh, bad throws, late throws on fades, uh, such like that. Um, it gives Casey Hayward and Michael Davis opportunities to to come down and get a pick six against some late out throws. Um, just for like kind of a like a visual there. I think Derwin James, when he was playing some of that against Josh Rosen and the Cardinals, uh, he was able to snag an interception on a speed out because Rosen was late on the throw. Stuff like that. Um, you also have the opportunity to do to add an extra rusher. So because you have those two deep to those two deep guys, um, you don't change the formation. You don't change the the play underneath. You still have your two hook zones and your two flats. Um, so you're generally in a cover two. If you're adding an extra zone, you add you add one in the middle, right? And it's like the, that Tampa two type defense where you uh, drop that middle linebacker deep. And he follows anything that's behind him. He's basically a part of the cover three. It's just a middle linebacker's doing it instead of a free safety. Which sounds bad, but it's not as bad as it sounds. Um, and instead of getting that Tampa 2 guy, what you would do is you would blitz that middle linebacker. Or you would add an extra rusher. Or something along the lines of that. So that's how they're planning to add an extra element to this defense that allows them to... Maybe they blitz Derwin James a play and blitz Kenneth Murray a play and those are two guys you want to blitz blitz Kaiser White a play another guy you definitely want to blitz King um, who I swear is the best blitzing corner in the league so I mean it just frees up a lot of it gives him a lot of room to operate now the downside of that though is there's only two guys deep and the Chargers are kind of that cover three defense is famous for not allowing the big play. Well, the reason they didn't switch to this cover two last season is because that second safety would be Roderick Teamer, or it would be Jalen Watkins, and maybe Jalen Watkins could have worked. I don't know. We didn't get see enough of him. Um, might as well have renamed him Kaiser. And so when you when you have Roderick Teamer as the opposite safety from even Rayshon Jenkins, that's not a good tandem there. Um and the Chargers were already getting broken plays as it was. So you're going to see, and I know fans have been asking for this, and I've been warning them that this is maybe it's not going to happen how you think. There is a higher chance, a much higher chance, 
that you're going to see long touchdowns from the other team, that you're going to see these 80-yard touchdowns, 75-yard touchdowns because there's a broken coverage somewhere or somebody messes up their zone. There's a Somebody doesn't understand because once you get into these two deep safety roles, the defense gets much more complex, and so your younger guys are going to miss things. Um, you're going to have to carry – like you're going to have to send off routes. So if you're running a deep post, that's right in between the two – deep safeties right your your two deep safeties are looking out uh, inside out and so the second they throw that deep post which is a weakness of a cover two defense like that uh you're kind of in trouble because then what a, what do chargers fans hate the most from gus bradley is a middle linebacker running down the field with tyreek hill right you're gonna <laughs> see it you're gonna see it i guarantee you you guys remember that play derwin james had against uh d'anthony thomas yeah, where, uh, where he had the deep post and he was able to get back there. Kenneth Murray can't do that, guys. Kenneth Murray cannot do that. Yeah, we saw Drew Tranquil get beat by that last year too. And so instead of seeing Rayshon Jenkins back there or Derwin James back there or Nasir Adderley, in a cover two defense, you would see Kenneth Murray back there. That's what I was trying to warn people about last year is we don't want Denzel Perryman doing that. Or Thomas Davis. Or Thomas, definitely not. Um, <laughs> so that's that's kind of the warning here I'm going to throw out to Chargers fans is I know you guys have wanted this but there will be a lot of broken plays they're quote unquote it's much easier to take advantage of a cover two defense than it is to take over take advantage of a cover three defense is what I'm trying to say here yeah last year I think there were a lot of Chargers fans at least on Twitter that were complaining about how vanilla the defense was but Really, with the kind of injuries that the Chargers had last year without Adrian Phillips, without Derwin James, and you know the rotating door of defensive tackles and Melvin Ingram in some games, I don't really blame Gus Bradley for not being more aggressive last year. I think you know he did his job, and he kept things close, and he got things competitive and within reach for this offense. But yeah, I think he definitely has a fire lit under his belly right now, and I think he realizes that he, like everybody else on this coaching staff, is fighting for his job at this point. So... I'm excited to see what kind of things that they can do, and I would expect the blitz rate to go up much higher with, you know, especially with Kenneth Murray and Derwin James healthy and Desmond King. So that that'll be a really fun thing to watch uh, as far as the aggressiveness in which the defense is playing with, and I would expect it to be more on the level of the 2018 defense than the 2019 defense was. So one of the guys you talked about maybe getting on the field a little bit more was Kaiser White. One of the guys they talked about this benefiting a lot was Justin Jones. Can you talk about any players that would significantly benefit from this? And also, how would Justin Jones benefit from this switch? Nasir Adderley is the first name that comes to mind who would benefit from this. Because that would immediately put another role on the field for him to play immediately. Because you're not just running one deep safety anymore. So it's not just Rayshon Jenkins back there anymore, who they have talked about playing safety linebacker. I think we'll talk about that later, Tyler. Um now there's two. It's Nasir Adderley is probably going to be the other one because I doubt heavily that they're going to want Derwin James back there. Uh, not because Derwin James can't do it. He absolutely can 100%, um, but because he's so valuable closer to the line of scrimmage. He's one of those players you want closer to the football, uh, no matter the situation. And so with Adrian Phillips gone, and you have to think that's part of the reason he was gone is because Nasir Adderley is kind of waiting there, ready to take this next step. We hope. So for me, this year, Adderley is the first name that comes to mind. And then Michael Davis is another one um, because I think it limits what he is really bad at, which is um, getting his head around. And it's a big one. Um, and also, he, it cover two has kind of a less strenuous tackle role for the outside corner. They don't have to... The Chargers scheme in the past has relied heavily on, you know, Trevor Williams or Casey Hayward coming in and making a tackle on the edge. And they were like the best tacklers on the defense ever. Um, and with this cover two defense, you're not going to see as much strain put on Michael Davis to make tackles, which is by far the thing that he was bad at in, in 2019. Uh, to the point that we were wishing Faison took the field at times. Uh, when you, when you're wishing Brandon Faison could take the field, you're you're having a little bit of a problem at CB2. So hopefully this is better for Michael Davis. 
Um, one thing I am worried about is it would require him to be a lot more agile than I think he is. Uh, he's going to have to, because when you're playing that cover two, the corner has the flats as his responsibility. So we'll, we'll see how he responds to that. But uh, definitely the first name that comes to mind is Nasir Adderley. Yeah, just kind of the other end of the spectrum here. I think it hurts Desmond King the most because, like Jason is saying, when you go to this cover two look, you're not taking Derwin James off the field. You're going to put Derwin James into the role that Adrian Phillips had as as the dime or nickel linebacker. So, And are you really going to take Chris Harris out of the slot? So it's just really interesting to see how they'll use the secondary overall. But I think moving to the a more cover two, two high safety look really hurts Desmond King's outlook because... In a cover three, in a cover three system, you can clearly see the plan for him. But in a cover two system, like how is he going to get on the field when Chris Harris is in the slot? Derwin James is up is up uh, closer to the line of scrimmage, and then you have Nasir Adderley and Rayshon Jenkins deep. Like, I mean, Desmond King is going to be more of a rotating player than people realize, and I think you know he'll have to fight for scraps and he'll have to be able to show that he can consistently contribute in those limited snaps, but. You know, we're not going to see Desmond King on the field all the time like we did in 2018 when he was an all-pro player. And that's definitely going to be something to watch out for. Well, let's talk about that role because I think it was Gus Bradley who said King could play safety. He could move outside. I think King is the wild card of this defense. I kind of expect where Chris Harris is going to be. I kind of get where Adderley or maybe Jenkins, even though Jenkins have a bigger role, I kind of get what he's going to do. not really sure where King's going to play. So a couple of questions. I'm going to try to blend a couple of things here, and I want to get back to that Justin Jones point. So Rayshon Jenkins might play some strong safety and some linebacker. They want to put more on his plate. That's fine. We think he could actually be better as like a strong safety linebacker. So a couple of things here. Let's try to keep track of it. Hold on. So let's say they have Jenkins and Adderley back there. Let's say that's their two. Now they want, let's say they want to put Jenkins closer and play that strong safety linebacker role, and I'm sure Derwin James is up there too. Do you put King back there? Is King your other guy? There's no way they're switching to Teamer, right? In theory, I mean, I guess as we as we said prior, it'd be a positionless defense. So if, I I have mm. no idea what to expect. How do you get all these guys on the field? And I think it's just going to be a wait and see kind of thing. I uh, I think King is going to be forced to play some outside corner, but. But for your question, are you okay with putting King back there? I am because I think they actually drafted him to play between slot corner and safety. If you remember the preseason, they played him a lot at free safety. Um, He actually got his first career interception. Well, it was preseason, but he got his first interception as an NFL player at free safety. I don't know if you remember that extension play. Um, So he can do it. I'm 100%. And he's a good tackler too. So... Probably one of, the, true. one of the better, if not the best, open field tackler on the Chargers. Um, so when you keep that in mind, I think safety fits him really well. And if all else fails and you want to move Jenkins up to linebacker, then King might take a spot. And you might see a, a duo of King and Adderley, which, I mean, I would love. But um, as they said, as we've, as we've mentioned... It's not a zero to one hundred thing. It's a zero to thirty thing. So there is still going to be some role for Desmond King somewhere. It's just going to be interesting to see which package or are they rolling out with different personnel on different formations, different plays. What are they doing? I'm, I, I honestly could not say with confidence where each player could or should play because I, I, I don't, I don't know. So we'll see. I think it's a wait and see thing. We're just. Gonna have to wait for training camp and preseason to see what yeah. they have in mind. I will say that the dime package that they could bring out is is going to be so much fun to watch. When you have Michael Davis and Casey Hayward out wide, and then you have Derwin James and Rayshon Jenkins or Desmond King up with Kenneth Murray, and then you have the two deep as Nasir Adderley or Rayshon Jenkins and Desmond King, and then Chris Harris in the slot. Like that is a very very fast and versatile dime package that this team could do, and that's really why they beat the Ravens because. They put six defensive backs out on the field at all times, and they had speed for days, and and that was really why they were able to beat Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. And, and that's going to be a really fun package to watch, especially with Kenneth Murray being able to man that middle like that and just really roam out there and wreak some havoc. That's going to be a really fun package to, to watch this season. 
All right, let's wiggle back to that Justin Jones question right. because they did say that this would benefit him. Can you explain to me how Justin Jones would benefit? And then I guess we can talk about Tillery, who they said they they want him to get stronger and work on getting bigger, which we all expected coming out of college for him. So I talk about that duo and then how they work in this defense. Yeah, me and you kind of talked about the the three technique role and how we would see that pounding out. You know, I think both of us, all three of us would assume that Justin Jones is going to be the starting three technique defensive tackle. Um, but how it benefits him and everyone on the line individually is that they're going to bring more pressure and that's going to eliminate double teams. So as a defensive tackle, it's really hard to create pressure when you're always getting double teamed. Um, you know, that's going to free up Joey Bosa for some one-on-one opportunities, Melvin Ingram for some one-on-one opportunities. Um, but without Damian square, I think that really is going to be another way that helps Justin Jones play more because they're going to need someone to step up into that role of can play end, can play defensive tackle. And, and I think Justin Jones could do that. I think Jerry Tillery could do that, but, um, really it just, it's going to come down to pressure eliminating double teams. And if you blitz, if you have five guys rushing, then there's no one to double team anyone. You get one-on-one, uh, battles all across the board, which is going to be, a key thing. And I think Justin Jones can do that. I think Justin Jones can be a very disruptive player, can get four or five sacks a year. And I think Linval Joseph can get a couple sacks this season. I think Jerry Tillery can get a couple sacks this season. So the Chargers were like 28th or 29th in sacks last year. And I would, uh, would be pretty shocked if they're in the 20s again. If they even just blitz, you know, five more times a game, then, you know, it's going to free up some, some more sacks and, and drive that number up way more than it should have been last year. All right, Chargers fans, before we get into the rest of what we're going to talk about, we do have an interview that Steven had with somebody. Could you please explain what that interview was and talk about how it went? Yeah, so this interview is going to be with Jason Kersey from The Athletic. He writes for The Athletic, covering the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, Obviously, you know, the Chargers drafted Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma, and you know, they've been they've received a lot of attention and, and a lot of wins over the last few years. So I kind of just wanted to pick his brain on Kenneth Murray, uh, just providing some context around his career at Oklahoma and being able to understand how he progressed as a football player and obviously get some information on him as a person. All right, Chargers fans, really happy to be joined today by Jason Kersey of The Athletic, who has been covering uh, the University of Oklahoma Sooners for the past little while, and uh, we're happy to, have, to be joined by him. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. First off, I just want to get your reaction to the Chargers drafting linebacker Kenneth Murray this past week. Yeah, I mean, I Kenneth Murray is such an interesting character because, you know, he, he came to OU and was forced to start right away as a true freshman uh, he went to the college football playoff three times. He was the team leader. He's a great human being. I mean, really, you're not going to get better than him in terms of uh, just as a guy. But, you know, really, if you had told me, and I don't mean this to denigrate him or the Chargers or anybody, but if you had told me at this time last year that Kenneth Murray would be a first-round draft pick, I would have thought you were crazy because, uh, you know, he, like the rest of the Oklahoma defense, really struggled over the last few years. Um you know, the, the, obviously, you know, Mike Stoops was fired in the middle of the 2018 season. That team, the 2018 team, had maybe the worst defense. Actually, I don't even think it's maybe. It was definitely the worst defense. <laughs> the worst defense in OU history. One of the worst in the country. The worst defense in OU history. Um, and last season, with you know, in the, in the first year under a new defensive staff, they really got a lot better, and, and especially Kenneth Murray. I mean, Kenneth Murray was – uh, finally, I think playing up to his potential, he's an athletic freak. When you, when you stand next to him, you know, he, he seems like exactly what anybody would want in an NFL linebacker. I mean, he's got the right body. He's big. He's, and and again, he's really smart. So I, I do think that, you know, there was, there were still some hints of his past problems last season in terms of maybe being in the wrong place sometimes or missing some tackles, those things, but those things got a lot better. I think he's got a ton of potential and I think that's why he was able to to rise up the draft board so quickly. Yeah, I know just kind of hearing what the Chargers have said about him, they were obviously really thrilled to get uh, him as a person, as a leader. I mean, you mentioned that same thing. Uh, can you kind of give us some insight? I know there's been uh, quite a few stories reported about him, how he saved a woman's life and 
And obviously the story is about his siblings. Can you kind of give us some insight as to who he is as a person? Yeah, I mean, he, he's a, he's the guy that, um, you know, my, my experience with him, I'll start with, I guess, my experience with him. My experience with him is that he, even in some, after some just awful games, both for him personally and for the OU defense, uh, he was always the guy that would come in and talk to the media. And I know that that may be a little inside baseball for some some fans, like in terms of what that means. But to me, I always took that to mean he's an extremely mature kid. Even from the time you know he was an 18-year-old true freshman, he has essentially been the spokesman for this defense, you know, coming out, trying to defend it, but also uh, acknowledging the problems, vowing to fix them. I mean, when you hear him talk sometimes, it's like, you know, you, you can't help but be impressed because so often, uh, at least in my experience, the last few years at Oklahoma, when they've had those bad defensive games, it's kind of hard, I think, sometimes to get those defensive guys to come talk to the media. And Kenneth was always willing to do it. And uh, I think that alone says something about him and about his character and his maturity. Uh, but then when you learn about the other things, the three uh, adopted siblings that are all special needs that he helped raise, uh, like you mentioned, the story uh, about him saving the woman, the woman's life and, and not really uh, wanting or seeking any publicity for it until uh, until a, a student reporter at OU uh, happened to find out about it and asked him about it. Um, I, I think that was one of the things when, when I saw that story reported, I think from the combine, I, I saw some of the responses and people were saying, Oh my God, he, he's just saying that. Why did he bring that up? Blah, blah, blah. But the truth is if that hadn't been written by that student reporter, I don't think anyone would have known about it. So um, he, he really is a, a a very, very good human being, you know, one of the better human beings maybe that I've covered at OU. And, and I don't mean that to denigrate anybody else, but uh, he's just such a good person. He really is a good person. And, you know, he's a guy that Chargers fans don't have to worry about getting in any trouble or, uh, or I wouldn't think would have to worry about him getting in any trouble right. um, or causing any embarrassment to the franchise. And those are the sorts of things, you know, obviously you never know what what's going to happen uh, sometimes with guys when they when they get into the NFL and have a lot of money and those things. But uh, I would he, I would be truly truly shocked if Kenneth Murray ever did anything to embarrass himself or the Chargers. Right, I, you know, I, I am so thrilled with the person and with the the leader that the Chargers are getting. Um, I kind of want to go back to his freshman year, if you will. Was he? I know he was recruited as an outside linebacker, but was he? expected to be a starter from day one or, or how did that whole process going about? Because it, it was so impressive to see him start for all three years. You mentioned the college football playoff success and things, things like that. But was yeah. he expected to be that day one success? No, not, not really. I mean, he, he, he came in, uh, you know, he was not, uh, you know, a top 100 recruit or anything nationally, but yeah, you know, he was a pretty highly recruited kid. And, um, he came in and you know immediately was competing for that inside linebacker job. I think they realized that that maybe he he could fit in there. And yeah, you're right. He was sort of recruited more as an outside linebacker, but um you know the the guy that was I think in line to start in uh, at that position got hurt during fall camp and uh, and that allowed Kenneth to to get more reps and then you know by the time the season started, I think the other guy was was practicing again, but but Kenneth had pretty much taken that job over. So um, now that is a there there are many many ways you can look at that. You can look at that as wow, that's really impressive that this true freshman came in and took that job. You can also look at it as man, OU really really did not have very much defensive talent that year, or, or at least going into that year. And and I don't mean that to to say anything bad about him, but uh, the truth is they were so thin and and had so. And they've had linebacker depth issues for so long uh, that a guy like that was able to step in. And credit to him for you know taking it, taking advantage of it, and and playing you know pretty well and and holding on to that job for three years. I mean, uh, Kenneth Murray is a, is a impressive athlete, and you know guys don't step into a place like Oklahoma and start as a true freshman and right from day one uh, unless they're an impressive athlete and have a lot of talent. Um, but I also think. You know, had there been more depth on defense, I'm not sure that would have happened that way. But, you know, for him, it allowed him to grow up and and uh, and become a leader on that defense really early because he was he, he you know, he's been a leader on that defense all three years. 
and uh, you know he he continued to get better uh, as the, as the years went on. Yeah, I've definitely seen some of that improvement on on film. Do you think that people, just kind of in general, Oklahoma fans maybe will look back on Kenneth Murray and say, "Wow, this guy was kind of like a turning point for Oklahoma's defense over the years." Or can you see that kind of effect that he has had maybe on the university? Yeah, I think that you know maybe that is how we'll look back at him because uh, you know he was he was part of the problem I think for a while and it wasn't really his fault. He just came into a, a rough situation and, and sort of, you know, suffered along with the rest of the defensive guys. But you know, that, that 2017 recruiting class, uh, I do think helped turn things around. Obviously uh, Alex Grinch taking over as defensive coordinator made a big difference. And I, I do have to say, you know, I'm sure there are probably a lot of your listeners, a lot of fans out there who the own, you know, I, I don't know how closely, uh, every every single person follows college football, but I, I there, there's a perception out there that the OU defense was just back to its old terrible ways uh, because most people probably only watch the Peach Bowl and that was a complete disaster. Don't get me wrong, uh, that was a really really bad performance and they got they got slaughtered in that game and and I think a lot of people uh, probably look at that and go well that's just that Oklahoma defense but the truth is they were a lot better last season they just sort of came up against uh well joe burrow and and you know and and that crew and we all know how good he is i mean that lsu offense was just so unbelievable Um, right and they kind of sliced him up but uh but the defense really was better and kenneth murray was a huge part of that and and i do think that uh you know eventually uh and maybe even currently i think people do recognize in norman that uh that kenneth murray was part of the of the turnaround and they've still got a long way to go don't get me wrong they've st- they they they're not a finished product yet and um you know they're still going to uh, uh to have their struggles because of so many years of of depth problems of guys transferring of guys not panning out uh, those sorts of things they're they're not out of the woods yet but kenneth murray did uh, him and, and, you know, Neville Gallimore, who was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, those two guys, I think, did sort of help turn things around because uh, not, Kenneth Murray was OU's first first round defensive draft pick in 10 years. Not since Gerald McCoy yeah. have they had a first round uh, draft pick. And then last season or last draft in, in 2019, they didn't have any defensive players drafted for the first time since the mid 90s. So uh, oh, the wow. fact that they had two picked in the first three rounds is a pretty good sign for them moving forward. Yeah, definitely. You know, I was going to bring that set up, but you know, that's a good segue to just his on the field production and what he is as a player. You know, you mentioned the missed tackles and things like that. Do you attribute the missed tackles more of like a mental aspect or more of just like, he's just playing so fast that he's a little out of control? Oh, I think there's probably a, a little bit of both. I mean, he does play really fast. He and he is really fast. He's an athletic freak, and um, you know, I think that probably had something to do with it. But but I, I also think so much of that comes down to this the the rest of the the team, the rest of the defense, the defensive culture that there was at OU. I mean, I can't tell you how bad it was in in, in during Kenneth's sophomore year in, in 2018. Uh, Oklahoma that year went to the college football playoff, won the big 12, lost to Alabama in the orange bowl, but that defense was ranked in the hundreds nationally in just about every category. And, um, there, and, and you know, the, the defensive coordinator got fired mid season, uh, you know, all of those sorts of things happened. And, uh, you know, you, I, I think that sort of pr- culture problem was there and it, and it affected everybody. And, and, you know, Kenneth played pretty well. A lot of times he had a lot of tackles, um, but you know that 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 culture is it w- was there and and it had been building up over many years the the bad culture on defense and uh, you know it, nobody was immune to it but uh, you know I, I think back on the game where they played Kansas um, in, in 2018 and you know almost lost to the worst team you know in the Big 12 one of the worst Power Five teams in the country they almost lost at home to them because the defense played so bad. And that was sort of the, Oh my God moment like this. These guys are not very good uh, on defense. If they can't slow down a Kansas team that has won, you you can count on one hand, the number of games they've won in the last seven or eight years. So, uh, but 
uh, Kenneth was was always again the leader of that group, and 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 he did have such a good junior year that, and then you combine the improvement his junior year with the uh, with the, his measurables and the things he did to impress people in the run up to the draft. And, and it's not really, it's not ultimately all that surprising that he ends up being a first round pick because he, he does have that sort of talent. And, uh, you know, I, 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 what I would say to, to chargers fans is that I, I think you're getting him at a time when he's still got a lot of growth. And I think that's an exciting yeah. thing because he, uh, you know, he, there's a, there's a lot for him to improve on and you, you know, you may end up, catching him right as he's really starting to peak and that's a great thing for him yeah i'm definitely really excited i know most chargers fans are very excited about getting kenneth murray onto the field um i kind of get you out on here this isn't really a kenneth murray question just because i'm curious as a general college football fan how is lincoln riley able to have such a high level success building an offense and building the quarterbacks because i mean you look at this incredible run of baker mayfield and kyler murray and now jalen hurts like, how is he able to have such a good amount of success with the quarterback position? I mean, he he is so smart. I mean, he is so smart, and I, I think that's what it comes down to. He's a he's sort of a guru on offense. He came up, you know, through the Mike Leach tree, and and you know, the story is great that you know he you know Lincoln Riley. I don't know how familiar you are with this story, but you know, Lincoln Riley was a West Texas kid, grew up in a little town called Muleshoe, Texas, about an hour and a half or two hours outside of Lubbock and went to Texas Tech, walked on uh, on the football team. And within the first few practices, Mike Leach told him, you're never going to play here, but I can tell you're really, I can tell you're really smart. And so would you want to be a student coach? And, you know, the guy was, Lincoln was a full-time college football assistant at I think 22 or 23, which is extremely young for those kinds of jobs and, uh, and sort of rose up and, and, then he made the offense his own. He he's always been able to evolve it and uh, adapt it to what he has. You know, Mike Leach does not run the ball ever at all. He throws it on almost every down. Lincoln Riley loves running the ball. He's figured out. Uh, you know, he's added his own little twist on these offenses. And then you take a look at the quarterbacks. Baker, Kyler, and Jalen are all different quarterbacks. Baker is more of your traditional pocket passer. Uh, pro style guy who can uh, you know move a little bit but but doesn't run much Kyler is a track star you know rushed for a thousand yards uh, but could also throw the ball well and then Jalen was like a you know a running back back there and uh, and he made it work with everybody you know I, I Jalen Hurts is a I'm very interested to hear, see how this works out because truth be told watching him up close last year I did not feel like he was as maybe good as his stats indicated. I think that is the result of Lincoln Riley being such a genius on offense to make J- to turn Jalen Hurts, who I still don't think is a great passer, into a second-round draft pick and a Heisman Trophy runner-up. I mean, that's pretty unbelievable. So, yeah. um, you know... So, I mean, I, I think Lincoln has just, he's so smart. He know he has, uh, you know, his, his philosophies and his way he does things, but he's also extremely adaptable and, uh, all, you know, next season they're, they're going to be putting in this, this five-star kid who's actually more from your neck of the woods from Phoenix a kid named Spencer Rattler, who was a five-star recruit yeah. out of high school and is, is almost certainly going to take over that job. And, and, you know, you'll just sort of, I think you'll probably see him go back more to a Baker Mayfield style offense, but I mean, he just, he can make it work with just about anybody. We we've joked on the OU beat a few times that, you know, we should just sort of put one of us, one of us stupid writers in there and just see if he can make us <laughs> into a, a great passer, you know, because he just is so good at it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but oh, yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's been really fascinating to cover Lincoln these last several years. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm really excited to see what they do with uh, Spencer Radler. I watched him on the QB one series. So definitely some good, exciting times for Oklahoma. And Jason, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast and talking Kenneth Murray. I think that was a lot of good information surrounding the context of him as a player and as a person. And and we thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Let's take a listen to that interview. I got to say, after listening to the interview, I'm I'm just even a bigger fan of the Kenneth Murray right, pick. Right. Because he explains a little bit of his timeline. I might get this wrong, but he wasn't a you know top 100 recruit. Then he walks in. He's not even supposed to start that year. And he ends up starting his first year in college. And he's not even supposed to be really a first-round pick. 
maybe a second round guy. And then he vaults himself up to a first round pick. And this guy's got heart, character, and a ton of talent. So I'm really excited for this pick. What did you make of the interview, Steven? Yeah, it was really interesting to pick his brain. And, and you know, I think everybody who pays attention to college football knows that Oklahoma scores a ton of points and they're not really known for their defense. But um, to have Kenneth Murray be their first first round draft pick since Jared McCoy really speaks volume to what he was able to do as a football player. And like you mentioned, you know, he wasn't expected to come in and be a contributor right away. And that's what he ended up doing. He ended up switching positions. He was an outside linebacker, then came in to play the mic for them. But, you know, he, we talked quite a bit about the culture of the defense that happened at Oklahoma and the lack of, you know, elite defensive coaching that Kenneth Murray was receiving and until this past season. And so he, he was able to kind of, you know, just wing it and improvise and fly around the football field and, and, and make a lot of plays. And that's what he was able to do. But this past year, he was really able to receive some much improved coaching on technique. And so, you know, I think Kenneth Murray has very, very, he has a very high ceiling and you know, he hasn't received the technique and the refinement that he needs but he's going to receive that here in Los Angeles with the Chargers. And, you know, the amount of talent and upside is just, you know, it's overflowing. And I'm, I'm so excited to get him on the field as a player. But yeah, he's an incredible person. And I found it interesting that the story about him saving the woman's life wouldn't have gotten out unless it weren't for the student reporter who interviewed it. Like, no one knew about it. He didn't tell anyone. And then a few months down the road, a student reporter was the one who was like, hey, like, let's talk about this thing that happened. I heard a rumor about it. Like that just it speaks volumes to who he is as a person that he doesn't want the credit for his actions and he wants to just be a good person. He wants to be a role model. And someone basically had to force this amazing story out of him. So, you know, he's an incredible player. I'm really excited to get him. He's obviously an upgrade on the field, but he's a great person. And I'm really excited for that as well. He actually ordered his jersey, um, I think, the day after they drafted him. Just because he's, he's the kind of guy on your team that you just you want to get their jersey. It doesn't matter how he performs. He's just a great person, and I just wanted to, you know, represent and say, like, I love this I love this guy, you know? And I haven't seen him play yet, but I just I love, the, I love his personality. I love who he is. And I shared an article about him where I mentioned these things that he did. And he's just, he's such a good person, guys. I like, he's somebody I'm genuinely happy for, that he's in an NFL locker room, and he's going to be successful for the next 10 years, and he's set, and he he truly deserves it, and he's earned it, and I'm super excited for him on the Chargers. I'm so excited to see Kenneth Murray in action. Absolutely. If you watch his film, there's obviously some missed tackle issues, and you know, a lot of people have pointed out his lack of coverage skills. I just, after watching it and after talking about it with, with Jason Kersey, it's just because they didn't ask him to do it a whole lot. Like, I firmly believe that he'll be able to develop into a good coverage linebacker. It's just that Oklahoma scheme was really kind of just stick Kenneth Murray right in the middle, have him drop back a few yards, and just survey the field and, and go get the ball. So I, I believe that he'll be able to develop into a coverage linebacker. And I think the missed tackles thing will be an issue this year, obviously, with, with the lack of an offseason. But, you know, I, I have full confidence that Kenneth Murray is going to develop into a very good player for this team. Yeah, we talk about how this defense might just end up being like a positionless kind of defense, at least with the defensive backs. But I guess Murray, they expect to play all over. In this transition to the defense they're talking about, does Will still work for him, or do you think – because you mentioned like blitzing up the middle as a Mike linebacker. Like where where does Murray fit best now that they're transitioning? I don't know how much, but now they're transitioning to this defense. I, I personally think that he should play Mike. Um, I think you know he presents a lot of the things that Denzel Perryman can do as far as being a disruptive force and you know getting tackles for loss and creating some pressure up the middle. Um, apparently, the the team views Drew Tranquil as as the Mike linebacker, which I can kind of understand because. You know, if you have Kenneth Murray as the will, that's generally speaking where you want the better athlete who can make plays in space and, and on the perimeter. So I can kind of understand it. 
Um, I just think Murray would be better suited as the Mike linebacker, so he can be more of a disruptive force and and creating plays that can really wreck an offensive game plan. Yeah, I mean, I linebacker is is my answer. I think he fits any of the three positions. You know, uh, I think they call the the third one auto, which is where Nwosu and White rotate at, and then they have Will and Mike. Um, any of them. I mean, you put him at auto, and I think he's strong enough to set the edge, and I think he's athletic enough to shoot the gap or rush the passer. Uh, he can definitely rush the passer, actually. He's very good at it, actually. Um, Mike, you'd be taking advantage of his athleticism, I feel like, far more than at Will, because Will is kind of, I don't know, those two are kind of interchangeable in some ways, but uh, I like his ability to, I like his strength more than Tranquil. I like his impact at the line of scrimmage. You ask him to come up and take on a lead blocker, I think he could do that way better than Tranquil. And then you can have Tranquil come clean up. And I know Tranquil would probably get the credit on the stat sheet uh, with the tackles, but Kenneth Murray would be having far more of an impact. Um, And Tranquil, I just... He has a too conservative of a play style for me to say, I like him at Mike and then Murray at Will. I think Tranquil needs to get a little more of a fire to be a reliable Mike and be able to make an impact there to where you can shoot the gap and make these big hits and take on these lead blockers. I don't see that fire from Tranquil. I see it from Murray. Um, So I would like to see Murray at Mike, but I mean, he could play any of the three. Uh, It's just going to be about how you rotate these guys. I think it's going to be more important rather than where you put them. Because, you know, just because they have Murray listed at Will and Tranquil listed at Mike, they swap those guys often. So I think rotation is going to be more important than where they're listed as a starter. Uh, when do they get Perryman in? When do they get White in? Um, and and so I, I do like where this is going, though, with this linebacking core. It's fast because Tranquil has some speed on him. Um, and then Kaiser White, obviously, is a safety that translated to a linebacker in the NFL. And so you're going to have a lot of good speed at that linebacker room. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more three linebacker sets this year than we have normally have. All right, let me ask this question. Do you think that Murray being projected at will is more because you can make a Perriman tranquil rotation at Mike, but you can't make a Perriman tranquil rotation at will as much? Yeah, I would. I 100%. Denzel Perryman should not be playing well. I think Denzel Perryman absolutely is the Mike when he's on the field. Right. So I think there is some versatility with Tranquil and Murray there in that instance. But, you know, me and you kind of talked about Perryman just being like a first down player and, and just coming in and being a run stuffing linebacker like he is has been bred to do. So that'll be really interesting as well. You know, I think Desmond King and, and Denzel Perryman are the two that are kind of getting the short end of the stick this year because, you know, they've, drafted their replacements or signed their replacements. And, um, you know, Denzel Perryman has been a very disruptive player for the Chargers, but that's both in a good way and a bad way because he's never on the field. So uh, that'll be really interesting as well to see how they use him. I will say Murray and Perryman on the field at the same time has immense potential to just, like, shoot the gaps and stop the play before it starts. Immense potential. Uh, so that might be why they want Tranquil and Perryman rotating at Mike, uh, because you put Murray at Will and Perryman at Mike, and good luck getting a play to develop, especially if it's like a Le'Veon Bell type where they're patient behind the line. That's not going to work against Murray and Perryman. It's not. Uh, it might work against a linebacker like Tranquil and Vigil, Vigil though, because those two are patient, and they try to read the play and see where it's going. That's who Le'Veon Bell has success against. Murray and Perriman are an entirely different style. They potentially have two different rotations at linebacker. Like, you know when you're playing football and they have, like, um, their primary offense and then they're like, hey, blue offense, take the field. Their orange offense, take the field. And they're like, that's your second team that takes the field and that made no sense. And you're just like, this is stupid. Um, <laughs> they might have that at linebacker where you're just like, they have their first team linebackers take the field. And then, like, there's a certain point in the game where you're like, you know what? Get those guys on the field or the, just set up a different game in different um, formations based on who they're playing. So it'll be interesting to watch. The linebacker and defensive back rotation is no joke. Even defensive line rotation, like I just, whew, there's a lot of things yeah. moving around. They added some some great pieces to this defense for sure. And so it's going to be really fun to watch. And 
you know, if Gus Bradley ramps up the blitzes even a little bit, then this team is going to get a lot more sacks and a lot more interceptions. And, and you know, it's just going to be a, a, a lot more fun to watch than last season when they basically were hung out to dry every single game and, and just had to bleed points until, you know, that was like their role was just to don't give up a touchdown, get off the field, and we'll do the rest kind of thing. Yeah, their offense wasn't scoring. They were kind of like hung out to dry. It was uh, it was not ideal for the defense last year in multiple ways. All right, so the last guy I do want to talk about, we've already mentioned a couple of times, but he is like the big eye-opener from what Gus Bradley talked about. That's Rayshon Jenkins playing more strong safety and linebacker. I know we kind of talked about this, but again, he's like the thing that's really changing. We're not changing. It depends how much they actually do. Can you talk about his role and if he would lose it? Like, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but like if he's coming up to play more strong safety linebacker and Natalie gets back there and plays like he did in the preseason, but then maybe King and James have a better strong safety linebacker kind of fit. Is he actually just kind of going to lose his job after a while because he's not maybe as good as the other guys doing the same job? This is the one that kind of confused me because when you look at how they've set the defense up, when they say he's going to play strong safety linebacker more, who is he taking off the field? Right. I don't know. I don't think he's taking Murray or James off the field. Um, I I don't know. Like, I don't know what they what they plan to do there. Maybe he's taking Tranquil off the field. Maybe they want him to be the Philip, Adrian Phillips replacement, and we've had it all wrong. Maybe Nasir Adderley is going to be the free safety, and Jenkins is going to be that dimebacker, but then... Derwin James is going to be need to be that dimebacker uh, in some situations, especially when you're playing like man coverage in a cover two. So this one I'm confused about. I don't know. I don't know what they plan to do there. Like, how are you going to move him up? Are they going to do it like against the Ravens when they had Jaleel die up there where you're just rolling out with six safeties on the field at all times? Uh, so, I mean, I, I like it on paper. I just don't know how often it's going to happen. It reminds me of all the times they've said, oh, yeah, we'll play lamp at left tackle. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it, you know, it's – I know Rayshon Jenkins is kind of the the butt of the jokes on Twitter, you know, especially after Anthony Lynn called him as an elite safety. But I think Rayshon Jenkins is a fine player. I'm not going to go out and say he's elite, obviously. But I think he's a, a serviceable player, and I definitely think he's better than Jaleel Dye was. But – I mean, he was a strong safety, then he was the dime backer, then last year he was free safety, and now they're moving him back to strong safety reportedly. So, I mean, he's definitely getting, it seems like he's getting the short end of the stick because he's not really able to get comfortable in any one position, similar to how Forrest Lamp is. Um, but I think Rayshon Jenkins can have a productive season again, and I, you know, he clearly has good ball skills. He can track plays pretty well, and, and he's a decent tackler. Um you know, and it's fine right now in May to say, yeah, we're going to use all of these players in all these different ways and be a positionless defense. But once you get onto the field, like, what if Chris Harris is just amazing this year and you can't take him off the field? Or what if Desmond King mm-hmm. it just really comes in with a chip on his shoulder? Like, are you going to take him off the field? Like, so someone in this defensive back rotation is going to get the short end of the stick and. I I think right now it's Desmond King or Rayshon Jenkins. One of them are really going to be left behind on this defense, and you know it's just unfortunate for you know former All Pro and someone who has done everything the team has asked him and switched to so many different positions. But that's just the reality: is that one of them is going to be left behind unless there are injuries, obviously. Unless they do actually plan to have Desmond King play some outside corner. Yeah, that too. It's too. There's so much to pay attention to. It's hard to say like who's going to be left out because it might be Michael Davis. It might be Rayshon Jenkins. It might be Desmond King. Uh, and the NFL changes every year. Case, maybe Casey Hayward comes in and he's just bad. Like maybe he, you know, he's hit 30 and he's just on the wrong side of it. Who knows? Uh, maybe Derwin James has a, a slump. Maybe, maybe Kenneth Murray is a bust. I don't know. There's just, you don't, you don't know. Um, so for me to go and say like, oh, Jenkins is going to get replaced or Adderley is never going to touch the field or Desmond King is out. Um, I know a lot of people are saying like um, that Michael Davis should be out, but maybe Michael Davis comes out and he has a breakout year. 
you know, there's just there's no way of telling right now what I'm going to expect. Um, I could tell you it's Michael Davis breaking out as low on the list of what I expect, but um, I'm just saying it can happen. Yeah. So all the talk of Desmond King getting traded or uh, Casey Hayward not getting extended after this season or uh, Michael Davis needs to get out of here. I just just wait, just wait because we don't know yet. And that's the big thing that we're going to have to do, as I said earlier, is wait and see with this defense, see what, see what they show us, you know, and it's not going to be, not going to be in the sense of like who gets injured and maybe somebody steps up. It's going to be in the sense of who translates well to this new scheme, who doesn't, uh, that's going to have another big factor in it. Like Casey Hayward, maybe he doesn't work well in a cover two, or maybe Michael Davis is outstanding in the cover two. Maybe Chris Harris sucks in the cover two and he doesn't want to play anymore because he was a Bronco for, I don't know, man. It's just, <laughs> it's just, you know, just, just watch. I'm really excited to watch. This is something, you know, they've played this cover three for so long and they've been homegrown for so long in terms of defense, you know, Jaleel Adai and Derwin James. And um, then they, they brought in Casey Hayward and they've kind of always brought in this one corner, this old older corner, like Brandon Flowers and Casey Hayward, now Chris Harris, um, and then somebody else dies. I don't know. It's like every time, you know, like when we brought in Casey Hayward, everybody was super excited. Like when the Chargers brought in Casey Hayward, sorry, everybody was super excited. Like, oh my God, Jason Verrett and Casey Hayward. That's so awesome. And then Jason Verrett just like died. I don't know. He's just gone. And we're like, wow, what could have been? And then the next year we were excited about it. And then the next year, and then now we want to bring Jason Verrett back. And then Trevor Williams. Yeah. Oh my God. It just, (laughs) so we're... (laughs) I hate this team. I hate this team so much. <laughs> it's uh, a great so, team in May, though. It's a lot of yeah. fun in May. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just going to have to wait and see, guys. I, I don't know what's going to happen. All right, the last question I want to ask you guys is a bit of a – it's either a tough question or an easy question. If you just dismiss it, it's up to you. So we know the Chargers aren't going to make these adjustments very quickly, and I certainly don't think – and we talked about this last time – that when they play the Chiefs, that they're just going to change everything. No, you've held the Chiefs to under 30, you know, 28, 24, and 24, whatever, the last three games. You know, so I don't think they're making the changes then. But you talked about maybe a guy like Le'Veon Bell, you know, the way the linebackers are different or whatever. Is there a certain group of teams or any team you can think of on this schedule where it actually would help them a lot, and that's the reason they're making these changes? or maybe like a postseason team that they would see where switching to this scheme would help them? Or is this just like a, let's get our best guys on the field and see what happens? Raiders. Yeah? The Raiders. I think this scheme would help immensely against the Raiders. Blitz Derek Carr, force them to make these underneath throws because getting sweeped by the Raiders was not fun last year considering that the Raiders were pretty bad, in my opinion. Um, So the Raiders are one team I can can definitely see it. I think with teams like the Ravens and Chiefs, they'll stick to what they do well, like I said. But, and then you've got teams like uh, Denver. Denver with the just check it down to your running back, Lindsey, and run all over them. Uh, teams like Pittsburgh. Just any team that really takes advantage of the Chargers underneath. Patriots are another big one. Um, you're going to have Jarrett Stedham throwing to James White. I, we're playing the, the Chargers are playing the Patriots later in the year, right? So, yeah, against against the James White and Julian Edelman, that cover two will come in very useful, very immensely so. Um, against the Buccaneers, Tom Brady, he loves to check it down, but um, and I highly doubt he's going to take deep shots to Mike Evans. Maybe he does. I don't know. Um, so just against teams like that where you're going to see more underneath throws, that's going to be a lot more useful. But against like the Chiefs and Ravens where um, you need the speed and you need to control the deep game, you're going to see the cover three a lot more still, a lot more, probably like 99% of the game. Yeah, the Falcons would be in that conversation too with Julio Jones. But I just think in general, if you have a play, if you have a quarterback who's going to be limited, then this cover two more blitz-heavy scheme is going to be very helpful. And you know, it's going to chart, it's going to start right off the bat against the Bengals. And I think that's a, a really good situation for them to just kind of mess around with it and, and figure out what works and figure out who can play where and – and be able to just confuse Joe Burrow because he's all the film that he's going to be watching on the Chargers is going to be cover three stuff. And then you just throw, you know, this brand new defense at him and just really confuse the crap out of him. So that's a good way to start the the season off for this Chargers defense and just figure out what works. But like Jason is saying, it's going to be 
more useful against teams who prefer to do the check down and have running backs that can uh, be heavily involved in the screen game with James White, uh, Josh Jacobs, and you know, even Le'Veon Bell when the Jets come to town too. So I think ultimately the, the switch of schemes is very smart. You know, you want to be able to have a versatile group out there. You want to be able to mix things up and, and seek out mismatches and and be able to do more things than just drop three guys deep and, and limit the points. So I'm just really excited about it, and I think this is a really smart decision for Gus Bradley and this defense. All right, that's it for us today. Jason, where can guys and girls find you on Twitter so they can give you your first slow dance? <laughs> I actually remembered. I actually remembered what it was. It was uh, Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Count. Oh. Okay, calm down. Um, but please don't. Uh, at Centauri13 at Twitter. <laughs> um, and at GAC Podcast 17 on Instagram. You can find me at Stephen I Hagland and at GAC Podcast on Twitter. Please leave us some reviews with, on whichever platform you are listening to us to. We really appreciate all of the reviews you guys leave us. Jason's just oh. waiting to interrupt me right now. Yeah. See, I already <laughs> called it. Do it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not super mean. Just Jason and I like to razz each other during the podcast, and he tries to mess me up, and I just find a way to roast I him somehow at the end of every podcast. Anymore. You're, so cl- like, you're so smooth in your transitions now. Like, you just, you've gotten it. I can't interrupt you anymore. <laughs> no, because now I'm about to mess up. Anyway. No, you're not. You got this, Tyler. Don't mess up. Okay. <laughs> This is Tyler. <laughs> you can find me at Tyler J. Shun on Twitter. We'll see you guys next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.